pretty good. Uh, T, can you give us that? Two, two, two. And uh, Joe. One, two, two. Make that two. Stop trying to cut me out, bro. Two. Did you ever see the? Um, did you ever see that viral video of? It's like a South American party. It looks like a favela party or something like that. And there's the kid pretending to be the DJ. <laughs> no. And he's going behind there, and he's got the thing, and he's like the headphones on, and he's tweaking all the gadgets and stuff, yeah. and everyone's going wicked crazy. And then the camera zooms in to the back of like the music console and there's no power plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, just all an act. But he's got the vibe and he's just got like a CD playing on the side anyway. Everyone thinks he's ripping yeah. though. Yeah. It was just like Skill Rex, just pressing play on his iMac. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's Sk- right. And then Skill Rex? Skill Rex, Skrillex, whatever <laughs> his name is. Not down with these kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's all hand movements and, you know... Space helmets. Yeah. Uh, I saw Danger Mouse on... I've never seen Danger Mouse Dead live. Mouse. Dead Mouse. Danger, Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. <laughs> 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 Mouse. <laughs> Dyslexia, fuck you, I found. You know? <laughs> he wears a helmet too. Yeah, he wears that mouse helmet. Sick helmet. He's doing that... Um, it must be some new piece of software, that Masterclass Masterclass. Thing. They came He's, up in my They're pumping it out. Yeah, it looks mad. Have you seen no, it? I haven't seen it. I think, he t- I think it teaches you how to be a DJ. Well, yeah. yeah, like fa- they're advertising it all over Facebook. Yeah, it hit my feed. Basically, yeah, it's a bit of software. Someone's come up with the idea of basically bringing education to people, connecting everyday people with high-level people in their fields. So I don't know how it works exactly, but it's like Danger Mouse is coaching you. Um, nice. Dead Mouse. To do dead, <laughs> <laughs> dead Mouse. Who else have they got? Not sure. They've got some kind of big names that they got in yeah. the advertising campaign. They're so big, I don't even remember their names. But I, know, it's I remember Danger Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Danger. You should think about changing his name. Um, Joe's going live. Can I take this? Yes, take it. Um, have you been on many podcasts before? Uh, three or four at this stage, I think. Okay, cool. Did they have quite as an impressive setup as this? No, I think every single one of them was just recorded over Skype. Okay, yeah, yeah, so sure. Skype call cast rather okay. than a podcast. Um, well, yeah, we thought, you know, this is the direction we want to go. Let's get some gear. I have a friend uh, who works at Road, uh, Will Thompson, aka Monji. I went to school with a good friend of mine, and he said, look, this is what you need to get. And he was just like, here's the kit. I'll help you out with it. Um, so, yeah, we just went big. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, it. so it looks really pro, but, you know, if the mic starts to droop and it starts falling <laughs> down, you're on your own. Like, it's delicate. Because once it starts teetering a little bit like that off-centre, it tends to just keep going. Oh. So I, I try to keep it stacked. So and I you know you know like what that means. Just, like, <laughs> tie it on around here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a head cam. Hey, um... Emmett, tell yeah. us a little bit about what's been going on while you've been in Oz. Where you've been and what so, sort of stuff you've been doing. That's a great question. So we arrived in Sydney and we spent just a few days hanging out, getting over the jet lag, which is, I don't know if anyone's ever flown, but long distance flights like destroy No me. one's ever flown. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever done like <laughs> 25 hour, you know, straight here. It's yeah. like you lose a day, which is fine. 
But then you're just like, I can't move. I am a human being. So being, not being. <laughs> so it takes a while to decompress for that. So we hung out. We've seen Sydney, which is... I had this illusion of Australia being a bit more Mad Max. And <laughs> it turns out it's a bit more Silicon Valley than I expected. So it was kind of a bit of a culture shock. Just what I was thinking anyway. So uh, You thought everyone was going to be tough as shit. Yeah, it's kind of like looking forward to like <laughs> mohawked bogans, like descending thing and, you know, trying to like keep everything cool and not make eye contact with anyone. It's <laughs> been uh, sorely disappointed on that front. So There was none in Queensland when you were there? No, none that we've seen. <laughs> I did see two bogans have some form of interaction on the train, actually, where they started off standing up face to face that they're going to kill each other. I don't think they knew each other. And then by the end of it, they're sitting down, like patting each other on the back, going... I don't know, who's going to bang whose sister or something like that. <laughs> ah, you're a good cunt. <laughs> Basically. They realized they'd reach maximum bogan, so it's like, okay, we're both bogans. We don't have to kick off. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah nah, we're good. Yeah, 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 yeah I nah. think I heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah nah. So then we had that. Uh, so then I've been doing the workshops, which we've done two so far. We've done the first one in Jungle Brothers, which was pretty amazing for me. It was like, probably one of the biggest collections of advanced trainers I've ever had in one room. We had, I don't know, some names. We had Kit Lachlan from Stretch Therapy, Sherry Seto, who's one of the senior teachers, Stretch Therapy. You're going to have to speak in that mic a little I'm bit. I'm going to have to speak into the mic. That's yeah. it, sorry. Oh, it's Talk just a bit to too close. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so we had them. We had Dave Wardman. Who else do we have? We had the team from False Grip. I think you had Joe Worthington from the Jungle Brothers, didn't you? High level. Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> Heard he's just turned old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Happy birthday, Joe. Thanks, man. Yeah, happy birthday, Joe. Appreciate it. You know, getting a bit grey there. I don't know you too well. But, you know. So just in terms of the workshop, it was great because I was, my workshop resolves around concepts and principles. We teach them, we illustrate them with some techniques. But then everyone else was like, oh, look, I know this, but I'm going to do your thing on it or try this. So it was just a very creative atmosphere for the afternoon or for the weekend. So that was really good for me. It was just like... Stressful, but good. Interesting to see people taking the concept of running with them. Then we were down in Brisbane for a few days, which is quite nice. We've done a workshop down there, which was in stage six, which Matt Rutley. And yeah, it was another interesting group. So we had about half the size of the group, but much slower pace, much more relaxed. And we had some, I'd say, beginners, people who've been only training maybe a couple of years, wanted to learn to be more flexible so we could... I don't know, regress the concepts and the information and then just, you know, spend a bit more time with these people rather than in the other workshops when things are busy. You don't get to spend as intimate time with everyone. You have to sort of flit around. So that was pretty good for me. Now I'm back up in Sydney for Jungle Brothers round two. Jungle Brothers can't get enough. Almost a full house, huh? Yeah, one more space. But by the time this podcast airs, that will probably be gone. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Yeah, so I guess a little background. Paul and I attended that first workshop with you. Uh, but Tiora didn't. He'll be attending this weekend. I will. Could you tell me about what, what is it you actually do? Because I have no idea. I mean, I, had a, I looked your name up on Google about 10 minutes ago. It's uh, <laughs> like, so who the hell is this guy in my gym? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to do that earlier, but I, I would nice like to yeah, like have a, a bit of a, a background on, on what, what you actually do in your workshops. So the workshop, what I do is... Basically, I kind of went through a process of teaching and people knew me. I started off answering questions online. So I started on Reddit. Hello, everyone on Reddit, if you're listening. I still yes. can't figure out how the fuck to use that thing. 
Yeah, like I'll bake you have to get it into it. Zero sense. It's me. also a massive time sink, so be careful. Yeah, okay. But I started answering questions on Reddit because people were just like interested. There's a lot of people out there, and they'd be speaking in very vague terms and not really explaining what was going on. So having the knowledge in the background I did, I was able to answer them. And then things kind of grew from that. So now the main problem I'd seen worldwide, or maybe not worldwide, but in the West, is people don't know how to train flexibility properly. So I, in my own interest, basically spent a long time, the last 10 years, researching flexibility, training, training with different teachers, workshops, certification, reading everything I could. And over that, and eventually doing all this, I was able to put it together into just a system of concepts that I call it modern methods of mobility, but it, it's wrong. Some of the stuff we're teaching, I found it going back 3,000 years, and it's kind of a conscious choice on business I made. It's like, okay, I'm just going to focus on the flexibility and not the acrobatics, because at the end of the day, the reasons people want to be flexible are going to be changing. You know, martial arts are in one decade, they're out the next. But people do want to be flexible for some reason. Is it yoga? Particularly when it comes to the adult body, that all the advice you get for flexibility is just like, oh, the stretch. That's about it. There's no real deep concepts. It's like, well, what do you do when you're in a stretch? How do we approach all these different methods? You know, we have stretching, we have loaded stretching, we have, you know, dynamic stretching, ballistic, all these other different styles. But it's like, how do you structure that? When do you implement this type of stretching in your own development? Versus, you know, do I go in too far and then you're doing something that's over your limit but seems like you can achieve it? Or do you start from the basics? And then what I had is the basic concepts. We have a few concepts in our thing which inform the methods that we have. You know, we need to pick suitable regressions for people, not progressions that we can, to paraphrase Crit Lachlan, you can always make an exercise harder, but you can't go backwards in time. <laughs> I think that's really important because a lot of people try to start out somewhere maybe a bit too advanced for them. Whereas if we select the perfect regression, so we go, okay, who's this person? What do they want to do? Where are they in relation to it? Then we pick the regression and we start them from there. The same as you guys would probably think. It's very similar concept that you find in strength training that you know, someone wants to do the Olympic lifts. And we go, okay, well, can you squat? You know, and then we go, okay, well, you can't actually squat. So you're not going to do the Olympic lifts now. You'll do them in a year's time when you can't actually squat and you have some strength and mobility. It's the same thing with stretching. We just don't want to go in too deep. It's like the common example is people want to stretch their pancake and they can't sit on the floor with their legs apart and they have to hold themselves up and it's just ineffective. And they'll do that for a year, two years and just be like, that's it, I quit because it's not effective and it's not changing me. Whereas if we regress them to something a bit more remedial, then we can just go, okay, here you are. This is what you need to work on. And eventually you will be able to do a pancake. And then on their journey, we'll begin to layer in all the different principles and methods we'd use. So it's just interesting in terms of that concept. How do you find, um, you know, you, you obviously have students of your own right that you coach, um, yeah. you know, in more than just flexibility as far as I know. Yeah. But um, how do you find that managing people's expectations? So, you know, you could say that the majority of adults that, you know, want to get strong or fit or flexible or whatever, probably lack range of motion as, yeah. as the number one deficiency they have. But you also have to give them a bit of the strength stuff and the other stuff because that's what people really want to do. Yeah. You know, like people don't like stretching, right? Like it's, it's the hard part. Well, how, do you, how do you manage that? 
and that's a very general comment. Yeah. But, yeah. but how yeah. do you how do you manage that in terms of the ratios and, and that sort of a thing? I think it's one of these things that we just have to give people what's the true expectation of gaining flexibility. Now I tell people we think in eighteen month terms to substantially change a range of motion. So if you came to me and said, you know, I'm a complete plank, I can't touch my toes, you know, I can't sit in a squat. Shout out Tiora. <laughs> you know, all these things I can't get my arms <laughs> overhead. Well, I'm going to say it's going to take you 18 months to get to the point where you can sit comfortably in a squat, where you can touch your toes, where you can get your arms straight overhead. You know, these kind of basic levels of range of motion. And now, if you achieve it before that, that's great. But other people that just have this concept that, like, you know, the 30-day splits challenge or the 30-day bridge <laughs> challenge. And some people, it does work. It's fine. It gives them a little focusing boost. But most people, I'd say 90% of people fail on these challenges because they're too short-term. They're thinking too short. So... We just go, we think 18 months. Once we think on that, very few people are disappointed. So that's the first thing on managing expectations. On terms of that, there's always something we can do. It's like, if you haven't got the shoulder and upper back flexibility, shoulder line and upper back flexibility to say, hold a perfect line handstand, that doesn't preclude you from doing a handstand. It just means you have to go, okay, my handstand is gonna be arched. I'm not gonna be able to pull my ribs down that's okay, you can still train your balance, you can still get used to being inverted, you just have to work with what you have and your limitations at the time. Just make sure that you're not, you know, okay, you're not <clears throat> putting your joints under undue stress, but if you're not, like if we go with hand balance, you know, up until the 40s, everyone was doing arch back handstands. If you look at the hands back, if you look at the handstand manuals from back in the day, they're all talking about how the American handstand versus, which is the arched handstand, mm. versus the straight handstand, which is the European handstand, and they'll be going, oh, the American handstand is so much more aesthetic because it's got nice curving lines. And then people, you see in some of these manuals that people are perfectly capable of a bolt upright straight handstand, but they're doing the arch one. It's just, it's a stylistic choice to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we're competing in gymnastics, we have certain expectations of form and technique we need to adhere to. But if we're not, which most people are, they're just doing this for fun then having a bit of fun and playing and being a bit less tight while your flexibility develops is fine. And then as your sense of balance, just sticking with the handstand, as your sense of balance increases and your shoulder flexibility increases, hopefully, you know, kind of tracking each other, then by the time you're able to balance nicely, you'll probably be able to get into a much better handstand. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So they, yeah, so they can be developed concurrently. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely one of those things we seek to do. It's not... You just have to, as once again, it comes to the regression and what are you trying to achieve with the exercise? You know, so say, say L-sits, for example, we go, okay, what are we trying to achieve with this thing? We're trying to achieve scapular depression. We're trying to achieve, you know, lower ab strength, hip flexor strength. Maybe we could just pick some slightly different exercises that are regressed that will build up these qualities as well. And then as someone say gets the flexibility for a decent pike, then their L-sit will have the strength to go along with it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, do you have uh, like a set of standards that you think adults or you know, let's say young adults, thirty three year olds and whatnot, should be um, you know should be able to hit? Do you have something like that that you're like yeah you, you should be able to get into these positions? Or is that a bit too yes, general? Yes, it's a bit too general because it comes back to if you remember from the workshop the three W's: the who are you speaking to, what do they want to do, and where are they in relation to that? So. It goes for anything in strength training. It's like, who's this person? You know, the advice I give a 16-year-old who wants to go to circus school is going to be very different to 
the advice of 50 year old lady who just wants to play with her grandkids is going to be different. So we have to look at that. Who are we speaking to? And then where are they in relation to it? So I do have strength standards. I do like people to achieve, but it becomes activity dependent, like the flexibility standards for someone who wants to do gymnastics, strength training or acrobatics are going to be higher than someone who wants to do Olympic lifting, which is going to be higher than someone who just wants to chase their kids around. <clears throat> so some base ones I think everyone should be able to achieve, regardless of what you're doing, is, you know, get out of the bed, palms flat on the floor pike, sit in a good resting squat, a good one, not just like survive in a resting squat, <laughs> and get your, if people have seen on my YouTube channel, I have the handstand shoulder flexibility test, I should be able to pass that test. I've got to check that out. Yeah, you should be able to pass it. Yeah, I just noticed lately that I've got a bit of an issue with my shoulder positioning in the handstand. Got to a point where I've realized it's kind of holding me back from progressing any further. Yeah. It's killing me a little bit, but um, I should do the test to see because I think it might have to do with, with the range. Yeah. And I've been kind of compensating for it. Yeah, certainly. I don't think it's a range thing. I think it's definitely the I range. Think it's I think my technique's impeccable. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a strength thing, yeah. potentially. <laughs> I think it's an ego thing. <laughs> Just wants to balance and not do perfect technique. Yeah, that's right. Calisthenics, man. What's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Jungle Brothers calisthenics yeah. and calisthenics. Cali. <laughs> um, sorry, just to go back, like, uh, where do you live in the world? So at the moment, I obviously live, we're based in Berlin. Okay, is, yeah. That's my hometown. I don't really do too much work in Berlin. I just, we've only moved, the problem is we moved in February this year. And then we've been on the road. We've been in our apartment for 10 weeks this year. So we haven't had time to set anything up. When you say we, who do you mean? Uh, me and Elisa. So Elisa is the other half of Silver Leaf Project. Who yeah, she does okay. all the admin and PA. Shout outs. Hi, Elisa. I've yeah. been saying her name wrong. It's Elisa, is it? It's Elisa. Uh, it's got an oh, E at the yeah. end rather than an R, uh, so. Oh, cool. Okay. So, like, what's your day-to-day then? Do you, like, operate out of a gym there or do you have your own space where you so run the Because so I know you do online as well. Like, what does your... what? So, if I go back to, say, do? when I was just living in Ireland before we'd moved to Berlin, yeah. was we'd done some travelling last year as well just to go do some training around the world. Okay. But... We say when I was living in Ireland, I had some I rented space in a gym in raw condition. Shout out to Raw, and I'd train people in that gym on one-to-one basis, and I'd also teach some classes here or there. So that would be the general day-to-day. Then I'd have my own practice, depending on what I'm researching at the moment. Mm. But now that we're in Berlin, it's kind of we're still getting found out. Just like what are we doing in the city? Like I think in some ways I'm going to keep the travelling a bit more and maybe do a bit less in the city, just keep it on a bit low-key. Use it for downtime when we're traveling. It's a bit... Uh, and then workshopping, how much time have you spent doing that? So... Do you, like, go once know. a year, like, on a, a tour, or...? So this is the big tour we've done this year, but we also toured around Europe for most of last summer, mm. which was quite nice in terms of... We weren't just straight-up training or straight-up doing workshops. We were doing a lot of courses or activities as well so that was quite nice to get a mix it's one of the joys of working online is that you know as long as i have a laptop and an okay internet connection i can do most of the stuff i need to do how do you find the internet connection in australia it's questionable (laughs) i've been worse it's been much worse in other places maybe like baghdad uh 
Yeah. <laughs> Bali. So we were in Lombok last year, about this time last year. And the internet, so Lombok is a Muslim island, whatever. And they would turn the internet off to the whole island when the called prayer was on. Oh, shit. So Doesn't you, that happen daily? Yeah, so it happens five times a day. Oh. Your internet is, it's, no, it's only for five, ten minutes while they're doing the call to prayer and the mosque or, I don't know, is a mosque, whatever it is, is doing the shout out for people to come to pray. But it's just like, hold on, you turn like blanket pan on internet <laughs> while we're here. <laughs> so it was a bit of an experience. While I'm watching Friends on the internet or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a... Uh, How yeah. rude. I know, it's very rude. So what's your, what's your, what kind of training do you do for yourself? Uh, did you say you're, you're, uh, you mentioned acro or acrobatics? Or? So my main background is as an acrobat. I was in circus school. I worked at that for quite a long time, but also done a lot of juggling and object manipulation. So we've done that, but at the moment, my main training has been a bit mixed over the last year. I've kind of started researching internal martial arts because I got obsessed with some of the concepts they've been training of, I'd uh, say, joint opening and training the tendons and the sinew channels rather than training the muscles. So I kind of dropped, I started training with a guy, Serge Augier in, from Paris. And for the first bit of his training, he was just like, okay, he said, it's better if you drop all strength training. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, go with this 100%. So I dropped all my strength training just to see what would work. And now it's beginning to work. It's quite, there's a lot of interesting concepts in it that I think aren't done in the West of the ideas of training the tendons that were only we're only really beginning to experience or get into. And that, you know, the fascial training, you see a lot of work of Robert Schleip, which mimics all the activities you'll do in internal martial arts. They've just done them for a thousand years or so. Internal martial arts, Tai Chi? Yeah, Tai Chi, Baoga, Qigong wouldn't really be a martial, there's bits of it. It's, it's hard to say where it delineates from the internal to the external in some of them. A lot of them are just like, so the reason I like training with Serge is he's all about the application, the actual putting it into use. It's not just, you know, I'm flapping my arms and doing, you know, some choreography that looks like I'm punching someone, but it's like, okay, you learn your technique, your form, you learn qualities more so. That's what he's about, is teaching different qualities in the body and then putting them into applications versus some other stuff where you see like a lot of contemporary Western Tai Chi is just, okay, you're gonna learn your 36 movement form and it's kind of done like a dance choreography without the qualities being put in. So it's interesting, this internal, this concept that we have this whole internal landscape and that we can use that to actually change our external is very interesting to me. Uh, you mean like in a, in a, from a perception point of view or like how, I don't understand. Yeah, see this is one of these things, I can explain all of this to you, but until you actually feel it, it right. won't make sense. But the con one of the main concepts of the internal martial arts to speak in Western terms would be there's a lot of internal metaphor. Now you'll hear stuff like, you know, say in Belgrade you have a thing called the dragon body that you're moving like a dragon. Now the concept makes sense to a Chinese person that they go, okay, a dragon, it goes in the air and it goes in the water and it kind of like makes S shapes. So you're trying to mimic that inside the body to then generate your movement. Whereas in the West we just kind of have like, kind of roll it up a bit. You get this in dance as well, like, it's one of the main frustrations I had, say, when I was doing contemporary dance would be, the teacher would be saying stuff like, go on, no, move more orange juicy, and then you do your <laughs> movement, and then you go, no, no, that's apple juice, I want orange juice, and you're just like, what the fuck are you smoking? <laughs> <laughs> yes, teacher. Yes, I'll keep going. Freshly squeezed, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, 
sorry to interject. It's interesting though, like this idea of, um, I guess it's kind of your, like your perception of the, of what you're doing and your awareness in that moment because. <clears throat> I don't know, like for us, we've been doing a bit of work around self-development lately. Yeah. And it's it's very similar stuff. It's like, you know, journaling and you know, being grateful for things and all that. Yeah. And using your using your mind and using your thoughts to change uh, to change the the physiological response, to, to have a different you know, you're changing things on like a molecular cellular level. Yeah. So it makes sense to to have the same kind of thing going on with your training. Yeah, exactly. It's kinda that's one of the things, so in the school I'm in with Surge, is we, we have three concepts we train. We train the body, we train the mind, and we train the breathing. So without, and you kind of try to devote equal time to each one of these sections. So training the mind, it's not quite meditation, because meditation is a state you would hope to achieve, but you're trying to train like things like concentration. You know, Can you have a single pointed focus of concentration for 30 minutes at a time? Which is incredibly difficult if you try it. If anyone wants to try it, just get a ball, tennis ball, whatever. Put it somewhere eye level, sit down and stare at it and see how long you can actually do it. And you can blink and you can relax the eyes. Just see how long you can maintain that thing. You'll be And your thoughts can go where they want? No, you want to keep, I'm focusing on the ball. So you might want to chant ball, ball, ball yeah, in I your can. head. That would help because I can't see myself yeah, focusing on that for a minute. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. It's, Honestly. It's very... Yeah enlightening to the mind because you're like oh shit my thoughts are all over the place whereas maybe now you know i'm getting a bit better i can maybe get 10 minutes of concentration now if you can imagine like say just in our day-to-day work if we could be you know whatever emails writing journaling whatever you guys are doing programming email 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 email. if you could just like (laughs) yeah just do it without like letting anything get distracted how fast how much faster would all your work be done Mm. that's a good point we've got a lot of fucking distractions (laughs) Actually, that, that like I feel that kind of happens with some forms of training, like like with hand balancing. Yeah, I know that if I'm doing that, you know, if I'm practicing handstands, I'm only thinking about handstands at the moment that I'm doing the handstand. Yeah, you know, whereas other things that are maybe a little bit easier for me to do, or you know, that require less concentration, perhaps say, you know, deadlifting or squatting. Yeah, my mind can wander. You yeah, know? there's something meditative about that. Yeah, I think it's like, just to go say to a powerlifting example, in some ways, I think the powerlifting training cycle, that, you know, your 12-week competition prep cycle where you're going to hit a new 1RM, is kind of, it's almost a meditative practice or this mind training that you're training your mind to go on this date, I'll pick up a fucking heavy weight, but all your focus goes towards it. So it's giving yourself a bit of a target to reach to versus our normal day-to-day training where we might not have a clear focus. Then we might just be like, Okay, what's on for dinner? Okay, okay, yep. set's done. Yeah, sit down. Don't really think too much during you know our rest period. We're just going like, okay, we're just resting, or you know, blah blah blah. I'm on the phone. Whereas if you got that focus of like, okay, competition. What's my technique? What do I need to drive in? What did I do good last set? What did I do bad? What needs to change? Fight date's good for that. Yeah, fight date would be. It's never like, actually done any like fighting. Yeah, but, especially uh, if inspiring, you know. I yeah. find that's quite meditative because as soon as you you lose focus, you get your ass kicked, or you you um you start to get emotionally attached to to sparring, then you get your ass kicked again as well. So it forces you, it's like forcing you into into mindfulness, you know, the right state of mind. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I achieved true mindfulness one time in a schoolyard fight back when I was twelve or thirteen, mm. where someone just 
clocked me really hard in the nose. Uh, just for that one moment, I think I had true enlightenment. I was just like ultra pleasant in the <laughs> moment. <laughs> I'll never like achieve that again. Yeah. I don't really think I'll go through that process at this age, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure you've encountered it before. It's just like not thinking, yeah. not thinking. Yeah. Oh shit, I'm now awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, br- it brings you into the present, yeah. like instantly. You have to. It's a. It's like a. a um, it's a survival kind of um, response, I guess. You yeah. know, you don't have the op- opportunity to think about anything else but what's happening exact at that exact point in time. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because there's so much distractions, and you know, maybe if we could achieve that state without the punching. But yeah, mm. that's what I was gonna say. I like actually, when I want these guys' attention, they're not really listening to just what I'm saying. Punch me in the face. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> just jab me in the right mouth. Yeah. Listen yeah. here, prick. <laughs> Interesting. I was listening to a I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast uh, this morning and yesterday. I think with Steve Kotler, maybe is the guy's name. Yeah. But he, he's talking all about flow states and being in a flow state and what that is on a physiological level. What's his background, Scott? I don't actually know. It's Steve Kotler, the kettlebell dude. No, it's Kotler. Kotler. Yeah, and I could be getting that wrong, but yeah. it's something like that. It's one of the last few episodes. But it's really interesting. Um, I don't know what what his background is, but. I know he had Lyme's disease and it took him out of the game for like three years, he was in bed. But um, he's talking about flow states and how he actually used flow states to heal his Lyme's disease. But how the riskier an activity that we're doing is, the faster we go into a flow state. Yeah. Because you kind of have to. So like fighting, skydiving, surfing, that was how he managed to do it. Got him into a flow state. Um, and it, it, well, he gave a... He gave a method for shortcutting into it, which I want to give a try. I thought hack. I'd share it with you guys. It's a hack, lifestyle hack. It's punch um, in the face. You wake up in the <laughs> we morning. Live? We're live. Wake up in the morning. I want everybody to do this tomorrow. Wake up in the morning, go for a 20-minute like run, like a jog, like nothing too intense. Yeah. Then when you get home, drink a cup of coffee and smoke a joint. And he said though the combination of those three things in that order stimulates the right areas of the brain that puts you into an artificial flow state. That's going to be my new morning routine, so you guys know. <laughs> nice. Okay. Thoughts? <laughs> Who's got the doobie? <laughs> <laughs> What's the... <laughs> <laughs> T does. All jokes aside, T does. Do we have to wait <laughs> all those <laughs> mornings? <laughs> do we have to do the jog? <laughs> <laughs> so what... No, so break down mm. how that actually works. Look, so he, he gives an explanation of it, but it's to do with, like, the jog stimulates a part of the prefrontal cortex or something like that and then the chemicals that are the chemicals that are produced in response to the coffee and then the joint combine to basically artificially represent a flow state so the same as if you were rolling at jiu-jitsu against high level opponents and you were just in the zone doing that thing mm. it's the same thing happening inside the brain that's happening when you have that combination of run coffee joint I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah I'd like to give it a try. I'll give it a go, but bring me back Is to my teenage s- days. But <laughs> there's just that, that the comment on that, that we, we encounter this in object manipulation a lot, the concept of a flow state. But there's also another state that you see it, a lot of people are familiar with the flow arts that I term a trance state, where people think they're flowing. They're actually just entranced themselves in some activity. Now, for me, a flow state is a peak state. It's not something, it's something that you can achieve regularly, but when you do it, you should be actually exceeding your perceived abilities. If you're not actually perceiving your perceived abilities, whatever it is, or like 
And that could be anything. That could be creative, like, oh, shit, I've just, you know, done something amazingly new on Photoshop I didn't think I could do. Or it could be like, you know, for me, I'd be inventing new tricks, juggling, or just catching things that I did not think were catchable. Mm-hmm. But whereas a lot of times I'd be flowing, I'd be like getting a good workflow, getting a lot done, but it's just because I'd be engrossed in the activity. Now, smoking a joint is uh, quite an easy way to get yourself filtering the outside world. Sure. It's true. Yeah. Same it with makes jogging makes as well. You got that, something. that rhythmic pounding, mm-hmm. rhythmic, ch- 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 that's going to put you into that trance state as well. Mm. It's like one of the original aims of jogging was like to achieve a trance state. Was it? Yeah, if you read the original jogging book by the guy who founded Nike, it wasn't, it wasn't about Nike? health or fitness. It was Phil Nike, wasn't it? Phil Nike, I think. I can't remember, but it's just like he's talking about, you know, going out and going jogging, as they call <laughs> it, not jogging. <laughs> but uh, to achieve a kind of semi-trance meditative state. So I think in some ways, a lot of these people that are like, oh, I'm achieving a flow state. I'm like, well, are you really, you know, flow basically means you're cutting all these barriers to getting to a higher peak for me. But if you're not really getting there, you're just, you know, you're getting engrossed in your activity and you're focusing a bit more, which is good. But I'd want to be careful on the delineation of that. What's the definition of flow state? Because yeah, well, I've got no idea what, what, it, what it actually is. Is that the well, that's achieving like, medi- like a So there's a book called Flow by, hold on, let me, where's my phone? I know we'll Google, oh, damn it, it's out of reach. But I can't remember the name of the author, but I can link it in, that he defines the flow state and he gives a lot of concepts. Now, people just read the flow state and go, oh, they don't, no, it's one of these books that everyone looks at and doesn't really read. What's the name but of the book? Flow. Why, is it Mikhail something? I can link you guys anyway. Jamie, bring that up for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's talking about like, it's basically a state that allows you to break past your perceived levels or achieve newer heights than you wouldn't normally achieve. Whereas we have, as I said, the trance state where you're just engrossed in an activity. You're not really achieving that super state. Yeah. So flow would be... Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think you... Like, I f- you feel it sometimes, and I definitely feel it in jiu-jitsu, or you'd probably feel it, you'd feel it there or inspiring. But when you're, when you're kind of just throwing things out and a little bit, you feel like you're right on the edge of your ability... And like yeah. you said, perhaps slightly beyond it, but you're not super conscious of it. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's just happening. It's just happening, exactly. And you're often, and you often, he was saying, um, it's often like when you drive, this happens to me, fuck, very often, I don't know if this is responsible or not, but where I'm like <laughs> listening to a podcast or something like that, and I'm deep in thought, and then I'm like, I realize I've just driven like 5Ks from my house to the gym. What is yeah. that? But I didn't, I wasn't even conscious of any of the traffic lights or any of the traffic. But I did it on a, on a subconscious level, and that was that was flow. Yeah, no, that's trance. See, that's trance. That's basically being asleep. Like DJ trance. Yeah. Yeah. Flow state is what I felt when I destroyed your record rope climb. That was flow. I don't remember that. I think it's probably. Yeah, as I said, it's probably quite more common when you're in this emergency state like fighting and sparring and then suddenly you've got someone a bit more advanced than you and you're suddenly you start dropping more combinations and better ones than you'd think you knew or think you knew you could land and you're just like how did i get that one in and you kind of in some ways when i've achieved these states i'm kind of there's the emmet that's doing the activity and then there's kind of the observer who is really shut down and commenting very little 
And then you're like, okay, you just like stand back and be amazed versus just being engrossed in the task. So can you, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Can you achieve flow state like alone? Or do you need that other person to give you that rub to? I, I think you can achieve it anyway. Mm, it's not, mm. it's can, one. It like, can imagine you, parkour. Parkour would be like a lot of those guys would be like the element of risk. Yeah. Would push them into that zone a lot. Could you oh, yeah, achieve so it not moving at all? Yeah, is I think possible? so. Like that's just the example I give is like say the, ball. the person doing Photoshop or you know painting whatever or drawing. Mm -hmm. well, what about with the ball? With the ball, staring at the ball, staring at the ball. That would not be a flow state. That's just training your concentration. Maybe you should try that for the next kind of three hundred sixty-five days. Mm -hmm. you could do a little research for us. <laughs> try the ball. I give you guys a thirty-day challenge of stare at the ball. Start with ten minutes and try to add a minute every two days. Fuck. How I, many minutes? How many minutes does that end up? At the end of the 30 days? 25-ish. Okay. Shit, we have to do that now because Emma's thrown that out there. Just, just to see, just, <clears> you know, experiment. And, you know, if you can't finish it, that's fine. It's Might not have a... to bring in that regression rule you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to stare at the ball. Start 30 seconds. IPad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, can be like, it can be any object you want to stare at. But the problem is you don't want to give your brain something to think about. So if you, like, put a book in front of yourself, you'd be like, ah, oh, a book. I would give you... Stimulus. I don't know, stimulus, basically, to think about. Whereas... A plain object, we use a ball because they're simple to get. Just there's no connection to it. It's just plain and boring. Do you think the practice of trying to achieve that concentration um, at the time you're engaging in it, but do you think you're s part of the point is that outside of the practice itself, you're starting to change your life to achieve this? Because you yeah. know, you're like, you know, getting rid of other distractions and then you're like, oh, today I'm going to do it. But before I do it, I'm going to take care of A, B, and C. That's kind of how I, like, when I need to focus on something, I've realised that it's a matter of preparing myself and giving myself the best chance. Yes, definitely agree. A lot of people, it's like, that be prepared to, one, just do the task you want at hand. Like, you know, simple yeah. thing. If I want to do some writing, but you haven't got a pen, suddenly, you know, okay, you have a new distraction, I have to go find a pen, I have to go yeah. buy a pen. Yeah. So that thing, all these distractions feed into this. But then there's also just that point of like, we train our mind to do our tasks we want. This is just like, it's like, you know, doing rope climbs and all this other stuff. We're never really gonna climb a rope in day-to-day -day life, but maybe it's gonna help us just move and feel better mm -hmm. and be more active, or maybe not more active, but you know what I mean, just. Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, you wanna be able to just access that skill if you can have that concentration yeah. amongst all the turmoil of everyday life. Yeah. Just to be able to go. Yeah, see, this is, this is the first step in achieving the concentration training of just, mm. you're basically doing a reverse cone, like a single point of focus. Then after that, you'll begin, once you're able to do it for 30 minutes, with like genuinely 30 minutes, with minimal commenting on the inside of your brain. Man. And then you'll go, okay, can I do it with an outside focus? Same with that single point, but I'm like allowing a bit more distraction in. Then once you've got this, then you kind of just go to like, can I sit in a room and just kind of, be present. That would be, yeah, that would take some time to achieve, but it's just a way of being concentrating and just going, okay, there is distractions happening, but they're not affecting, affecting me. me yeah. Do you believe that stretching uh, and what you're talking about now is something that, or, or is it something that you, you teach or combine with your, with your stretch methods? Or? Mm, if people need them, it's the same with like, you guys have encountered this in the gym. So you want to teach someone how to do press-ups and 
they're just not focusing. And they're just not like doing what you tell them. They're distracted. They'll take a break and they'll be upset. They'll be like on the phone or, you know, it's distraction. So people do that. In terms of the flexibility thing, in some ways it's make easier to make people concentrate because in some ways it hurts and it's a bit risky. So people will zone in faster. Yeah, I find for me that I, I almost have to focus a lot because I'm, I'm naturally quite stiff or if that's yeah. the term, but I'm stiff. So stretching for me is, is quite painful ordeal, especially if I have um, positions that I'm, I'm not used to. My body fights it a lot. Yeah. So I feel like um, out of a lot of the activities I do, that that's one that I really need to focus on. But um, I know the breathing helps me and all those kind of things, clearing the mind and being, being present and all that kind of stuff. I was just thinking that um, if, is that something that you coach in your course as well? I don't specifically touch on it because I think it's quite a deep topic and quite, it has to be individualized to the person rather than the other one. The other thing is what a lot of what we do, one is, this is one of the things I wanted to counter in stretching is this concept of we have to be relaxed. Now some people have this capacity, this amazing capacity to relax their muscles and they get flexible just by relaxing. For a lot of people, we need a kind of load and attention. And that's one of the things I seek to maximize. And some of the techniques, we're actually trying to maximize tension. We're treating it like, you guys experience this, like a straight up strength exercise, which just happens to have the parameters of we're increasing depth and ROM rather than increasing weight. So it's, it's this typing of who are we speaking to. Some people, they can relax and they get flexible. Just If we look at yoga, for example, it's the most successful and also the highest failure rate of people getting flexible that I can hmm. find you, all these people have got these amazing splits, amazing back bends, and we can talk about the qualities and bounties another time. And then I can also find you all these people who've done yoga classes for two years and still can't touch their toes. Yeah. So it just shows that there is a big delineation on the type of response we get. And you think that's through type, like as in it's a one approach to too many different types yeah. or body types kind of thing? Yeah, that would be my example is just that there's people respond to different stimulus in their training. Some people need higher intensities and higher loading. Other people need less training. Now, you've encountered this when you train squatting. Some people can get ridiculously strong squatting once every two weeks. And just, that's all they can need. That's all they can recover from. And other people need to squat like 10 sessions a week. And they'll reach roughly the same height, but they have the capacity to re recover. And you can put longevity in that and all. Maybe they won't be survive as longer in their life, but it's just a different response. That we're all, it's the individualization of training rather than just saying there is one way to do this, which there isn't, we know this, but a lot of people seem to promote that as like, this is the one way people need to train. Maybe not. Yeah, it's good for marketing purposes, yeah. I suppose, and for selling stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna, it's one of those things I fight a lot against in the, particularly with the flexibility training is a lot of people have preconceived notions that are, you know, I need to stretch every day and I need to do a big series of stretches, whereas maybe you need to stretch once a week and just do two stretches. Yeah, do you, do you have a general prescription there? Like, obviously, it does come down to the individual, but if you, you were looking at... You saying that... Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what the general prescription is. <laughs> so the gen, like where I start, I, when I say when I'm coaching someone, Starting I'll point. start them with like stretching exercises, what they need to develop twice a week. And that just gives me a baseline to go, okay, are they improving? Are they not? You know, are things working? I don't know. And then from there we can go, okay, 
if they don't seem to be recovering, then we go, okay, maybe they need to do a bit less. And then if they are recovering, but just not progressing, then maybe we need to do a bit more. So that would be my starting point. Two a week? Yeah, twice a week. Same yeah. with like most other training. You just need to do it yeah. twice a week, basically. So here's a, your, your course. What's it, what, what is the name of the course again? So it's called Modern Methods of Mobility. Modern, modern med- Methods of Mobility. Yeah. But you use uh, the term flexibility a lot. Yeah. Do you see a difference between the two words? Or you just use In, them in the, I use them the interchangeably way. because for me, correct flexibility training should incorporate all the aspects of control, tissue quality, tissue structure, all of these things, whereas a lot of people just think flexibility, just think pure passive range of motion, whereas I want to bring all these up at roughly the same pace. So it doesn't, it's one of those things, mobility is a new word in this whole game that's a bit of a catch term that, you know, started off from Kelly Starrett, whereas maybe it's a bit of marketing for the CrossFit side of things, maybe not, but whereas if we look at, say, flexibility training in circus and acrobatics, there is no delineation. You do active flexibility, you do passive flexibility, you do stuff that's going to use your flexibility. So, you know, we don't want to separate out these qualities. We want to bring them up. It's not just not just like yin yoga where you're just trying to get like as flexible and bendy in certain positions as possible. We want the ability to control the joint, control the range of motion to integrate it as much as possible, not just, not just be flexible for sake of being flexible. Well, that's cool if you want to do it, but you know we want to go. Well, what do you want to do with it? You know, why do you want to be flexible again? Were yeah, you okay. stretching in the early two thousands? Stretching in the early two thousands. What was stretching? <laughs> Didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I ask because it's definitely it's come back. I mean, I know for for me for us it's it's come back on vogue again. Yeah. As like holy shit, this is really fucking important. <laughs> but I know like when I was starting you know coaching and that kind of thing and and talking with people who i consider to be in the fitness community you know pretty well educated and whatnot they're like yeah no don't worry about stretching so much like lift more train harder that kind of thing especially in martial arts and whatnot in jiu-jitsu world yeah it's just i think these things come on vogue it's like strength training olympic lifting have been kind of in for the last 15 years thanks to crossfit but they're probably going to go out the window in about five years time same with kettlebells they were awesome like they were the thing when Pavel was around, what was that, like 98, 2002. Yeah. But now like they kind of settled down into their own niche, but you know, things come and go. People will want to be flexible, probably not in the gym sense, but then there'll be something else outside it. You know, we can find pictures of Egyptians in the pyramids doing splits. Bullshit. Yeah, I can find them. I like Hieroglyphics. That. Yeah, hieroglyphics, and you can find them juggling. And now the reason they're probably doing them for ritual purposes or who knows what, Maybe someone does out there, they can inform us. But we do know they were doing these activities. Ben Slater, phone in. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Ben Slater? It's a friend of ours. Uh, I, I attended his workshop on the weekend. He's a bit of a self-development kind of guru, uh. but uh, very much into, into uh, sacred geometry and ancient Egypt and alternative world history of... Oh, nice. Yeah, so he, yeah, and he's a flexible dude. Correlation, you tell me. It's all the sacred geometry. We don't need to stretch or do any mobility. We just need to, you know, draw some circles. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Sorry, where were we there? We were hmm. flexibility. Yeah, so just saying yeah. that, you know, people... The trends. Yeah, the trends and the reason why people want to do an activity are going to change. But the activities still remain. There's only certain things the human body can do. And there's only certain ways we can induce that positive change. 
So the reason behind it will be different, but the actual, what you look at the phenomenon of it and how it's achieved is the same. So your, your, your resources for all of the stuff that you, you've built uh, to, to build your course and or your, your methods or however you want to state it, how, where did they come from and how do you decipher the difference between science and pseudoscience? Do you, do you go in and, and look at statistics or anything like that? Or you just try See, it and if it feels good, you use it? Or? That's basically one of the problems I encounter with flexibility is the research is a shit. It is really terrible. It is done on college students who are basically abhuman. They're not normal. They sit around. It's tracking people over six-week periods, six to eight-week periods, going, this is ineffective. And I'm like, well, actually, if you've done it a bit longer, it would be very effective. It's just not done. The research, like, I think someone said, I think it was Kit Lachlan told me recently, so when he was doing his research, there was 1.2 million papers available and peer-reviewed on aerobic training. There was 750,000, give or take, on strength training. There was less than 10 or 12,000 on flexibility methods. So it's Mm -hmm. just not researched. And it's just like no one really cares so much about it because the sports where you acquire a lot of flexibility, like gymnastics or weightlifting, Generally, people start them quite young in the successful countries, so they get flexible quite easy. Whereas no one's really taking adults and going, okay, we're going to track you for a year and we're going to try and make you get splits. They're all like, oh, we've seen a five degree increase of range. And it's like, well, I could increase five degrees range, permanent range of flexibility with like in one session. You know, we don't need to do this if someone's inhibited in some way. So I do look at research just to kind of give me a bit of guidance, but it also comes down to, say, trend tra- strength training, for example. I think Charles Pollock had an example a couple of months ago that they've only now validated the rest-pause method for strength training, whereas he's got a book of it going back to the 1930s. <laughs> Translated from Eastern Europe or something like that? I'm not sure if it's Eastern Europe. I think it was one of these ye old-time strongmen. Right that on. was just, you know, was talking about rest-pause training and intraset rest, but they've only just you know, validated as statistically significant, so. Can you, um, can you uh, tell us more about what that actually means, stretch, pause? I'm not uh, familiar with Oh, the rest, pause. So the rest, pause rest is pause. taking breaks between your reps. So say I pick up my 3RM bench press or 3RM squat, whatever, and then I'll take a 10-second rest between each rep. So I'll re-rack the weight, unrack it, rep, and then you'll achieve a couple more reps per set. And you'll right. see there's some pieces of research recently that the velocity, using velocity measures of your sets as well, that your bar speed would stay higher over the course of your set if you took some breaks in between. Nice. Yeah. I have to try that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's, it's a big world there. I remember listening to Summer Pollock when I heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And it's like, fuck, there's, there's so much stuff to be tried and researched there, you know? Mm. like Yeah. I really like the rest-pause method a lot. It's one of those things that gets used a lot in acrobatic and gymnastic training, but not because they're thinking about it, just because some of the exercises, say you do a stalder press free for standing, and sometimes you're going to fall out of your handstand, and sometimes you're not going to hit the exact trick, so you have to, you're not going to be able to bang it out rep after rep. You have to reset. Yeah. The same way, like, if we think Olympic lifting as well, nearly every single rep people do is rest-paused. That they're, you know... Dump the bar. Dump the bar, reset, put your straps back on if they come off go it gives you about a 10 second rest between so yeah. it's prevalent but maybe formalizing it in normal strength exercises is definitely one to try makes sense and i guess from a more like 
using a more open forum type approach to, to training, like you were mentioning before with, uh, with Fighting Monkey and the pull-ups. Yeah. Not counting the sets and reps necessarily so much, but just doing it. Yeah. You know, is, is kind of along those lines a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's one of those ones I done the Fighting Monkey workshop at Joseph was trying to just make a point that maybe you just don't have to, you just have to do it. I think there is a happy medium that you do need to track your progress and, you know, have some key markers that you're trying to increase, but maybe being a bit freer. I think uh, I think gold medal bodies have a program based on this. If you guys are familiar with them, I think their stuff is great, but uh, they have a program just based on, you're just gonna do the exercise with the correct tempo and the correct form. You're gonna set a clock for a minute. You're just gonna do it. Uh, however many reps you achieve with good form is what you achieve. And when your form breaks down, you just stop. And then, you know, and if you do it with good form, you know, three seconds down, one second up, you'll get 15 reps a set, which is pretty good. But if your form's a bit shit, you're just learning, you might do five. Yeah, and you can still track that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. But uh, I don't know, long-term things, consistency is more important than six-week targets, particularly for like the average show, the normal people we're training day-to-day, -day, not the high leave the high elite, though we do like to think all our clients are high elite. Naturally. You all are, anyone listening. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's consistent things will improve your quality of life, you know, making sure, say, say you can train three times a week and then just go, okay, I go three times a week and I do that for the last five years. You're going to have a pretty good physique. You're going to be pretty healthy if you're doing like a nice structured balance of training. You're going to be pretty mobile. You know, you might not be squatting three by body weight, but do you need to? These kind of things that you need to consider. How do you... So when, when you are... Obviously, you do your own strength training, or you said you were yeah. before you um, started your internal martial arts. Uh, how, did you, how do you integrate your, your, your flexibility training into that? Is it the whole way through? Do you, do you slot it in between sets, or is it something that is like a prehab, rehab kind of approach, or uh, mix it up? Or? It depends on the exercise. So you'll see when you do the course of the weekend, we have different categorizations of exercises and different ways to be approached. Now, a lot of, say, the lower body flexibility exercises, if they're a strength and range of motion one, we'll include them as accessory exercises. Mm -hmm. So just an example, so my clients might do, they might do, say, you know, they'll warm up, to, say, for lower body, they'll do some jumping, some down bounding drills, something like that, that's applicable to what the movement plane we're doing. Then maybe they'll do like say five sets of three or five sets of five and a back squat or a front squat. Then if they need to really improve the mobility, we'll start all their single leg work would be like Cossack squats, drop stance, these kind of exercises, but maybe loaded up. And then we'd move on to say side splits and train that as an isometric or different variations. So there's no real, we're not basically, we're going like, okay, what movements are we doing? So we have, say for a leg program, we'll have a squatting exercise, we'll have a single leg exercise, and we'll have a hip hinging exercise. It's like, well, can I make them range of motion exercises for these people who want to get the big levels of flexibility versus someone else who might just go, okay, we'll squat, we'll do, I don't know, a lunge, and we'll do a deadlift variation. So it's just being a bit sneaky on the programming. So you're getting a bit of both. Yeah. Still a bit of strength work and accessory work, but yeah. more range of motion focused. Yeah, just using the range of motion and strengthening it. That's one approach. But then other people, they'll have like, you know, it also depends how much time have you got. If you've got like, you know, a lot of time, 20 hours a week, then we can do everything, you know. We could put every single technique in there. But if you're doing three times a week, I think just, you know, looking at what you want to do and going, okay, 
where's the accessory exercises that mimic the flexibility that we want to achieve. Speaking of programming, sorry, T. Um, what does your online coaching look like? Like, so do you do it all yourself, and how does it work, and how many people do you take on? So yeah, I do it all myself. We have we only take on twenty people at a time, just because we want to keep it small. Then it's generally focused around people who want to achieve more acrobatic type movements and flexibility. So there's a lot of, say, pseudo gymnastic acrobatic strength work training flexibility training, handstands, these kind of things. Then in terms of how it works, it's we individualize, so there's no set prescription that, you know, it's great if you say you can train 10 times a week. For most people, that's unrealistic. So I have some people who train three times a week who, you know, have family, other commitments, and they all progress. And we have people who train 10 times a week who want to go to circus school, and they're also doing quite well. If people want to see, you can check out, I have a hashtag on Instagram, does hashtag Emmett Lewis, and you can kind of see what people get up to. I think I've got a nice mix of people because we've got like people who are doing one-arm handstands, but then we also have someone who's just like, can barely hold a handstand, who's just training at the basics at the wall. So it's a nice range. I think for me that's important to not have too many elite people. For what reason? I say that because it seems like a natural progression of coaches as they as they move down the, you know, down the line yeah. in their career that they tend to start to favor higher level students? Yeah, I see, I think there's one of these problems with if you, if I look at say some of the circus artists I've trained over the last year or people who'd consult with me, like the people who train in Cirque du Soleil or performed at Cirque du Soleil or have in the past, these are elite level humans who have done this for a very long time. For me to say, you know, my 12 week training was the thing that changed their life, unless I fix an injury, it probably wasn't, you know, they've got 20 plus years of training before they even met me. That changed their life and all these coaches that brought them up along the way. Whereas like the people who just come in and you know, they've got some gym training, but now they're like, okay, I want to do a bit more acrobatics and get a bit more flexible. These are the real people you really get like the sense of satisfaction out of some of the basic stuff. Like you, you know, take someone who can't touch their toes over the course of a year, year and a half, two years, you get them to do a split. Like that's mind blowing for them. Whereas, you know, give me an elite person and I'll, you know, say an oversplit will get them from like a 30 centimeter oversplit to a 40 centimeter oversplit. That's a massive increase, but they're just like, meh, there's someone else who's got a, like a one meter oversplit. <laughs> that's not good enough. We're going to get it anyway, probably. Yeah. That's a good point. And so for you, there's a lot of personal satisfaction in that, obviously. Yeah, I like, I don't know, I like helping people. That's why I'm in this business. So it's cool that I can work with advanced people, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's very few advanced people out there. If we look in the concept of like the 7 billion people on the planet, we want to, you know, you guys encounter this here, I'm sure that there's people who just come in who go to you guys, oh, I want to lose five kilos and, you know, feel a bit healthier and walk upstairs without breathing hard. You know, that's a positive change of life rather than someone like, oh, I want to, you know, take my chin up from 20 kilos to 30 kilos. Yeah. There's, you know, the person gets a 30 kilo chin up, their life doesn't change that much. Whereas the person can walk up the stairs without you know, gassing. That's a very big change, a very positive one. It's a good point. Emmett's here to serve the people. Yeah, I like I that. Say, I wouldn't say I'm here to serve the people. I do like <laughs> training my advanced people, but I like having a spread because it just, it's also, you know this guys from training strength coaches who eventually do make it to advance and just get a bit of snobbery that I only work with elite athletes and you know, I only work in international level. It's like, why? You know, I learn a lot from training the basic people who just can't do anything. 
to, that's where a lot of my train, my coaching skills come from, rather than just, you know, the advanced people, you give them their program, you hear back from them, you know, once a month going, oh yeah, everything's going fine, I'm following it fine. Yeah. There's not much to learn. Whereas you have someone going like, say, just an example, I won't name names, but I just had a new client start with me. And I put in a small amount of jogging in his program. He just needed to build an aerobic base, 20 minutes, a couple of times a week. He sends me back on like the jogging killed me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know how to run. <laughs> like, okay. and, you know, he's a 25 year old guy. It's like, how do, how do you deal with someone who can't run? I'll refund yeah. your money straight away. Yeah, it's very <laughs> tempting. No, 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 you don't never refund the money. You just go, you're not training hard enough. <laughs> but uh, so that's just an interesting thing of just going like, well, you know, we all assume running is a basic skill, but then someone goes like, I don't actually know how to do it. And you're like, well, what can we do to help this person? Yeah. If you have, uh, like, someone listening to this podcast is thinking, okay, I want to, I want to start making some changes to my, to my own, uh, my, my body to gain flexibility, range of motion, that kind of stuff, and they're totally new to this, the, the whole world of it. Like, where would you advise for people to go to start? Where would you start this little journey? If someone had never started it before, I'd advise them just to start with basic static stretching and use it to explore their body. So we don't do any of the fancy loaded stuff. We don't do any of the pulsing, any of the nervous system techniques. You just, if you're completely new, you start with the most basic, which is the static stretching. That in turn will just one, give you an experience of your body. So you know where you're actually tight, you know what you can actually do. Because some people can be tight one way, but they're flexible the other. So then you get an idea, okay, maybe I'll need to work on this, that, and the other. But then also you'll just be like, okay, things will start improving. You'll be able to see what improves and you know, you'll begin to get a feel, am I doing too much? Is it too little? And use a bit more like a radar for your body to find out what's going on. Then, you know, most people who come to me are beyond that stage. They kind of have stuck with a lot of static stretching. They're like, it's not working. So then we'll just begin to look at what variables they're doing. Are they holding things long enough? Have they just been doing it too long that they need a new stimulus? Is their intention in the stretch right? So these are things you can look up. I have a couple of lectures on YouTube that cover some of this. So if you guys are interested, just have a look at them. But it's, yeah, the basic, the very, very basic point of getting flexible is static stretching. Just, you know, what can I do? Right. Cool. Yeah, it's funny that because there's always been this, uh, like the whole static stretching thing. I mean, as far as I've, for as long as I remember being involved in the fitness industry, has always had this, negative kind of stigma connected to it and I remember my wife's a professional dancer and uh, I remember watching her spend like oh, man she just sit in a split for watching telly for half an hour I'm like why even why even bother doing that I mean all the stuff I'd been taught is that static stretching will it, um, it's the devil yeah it starts yeah. Uh, putting your body it, it takes tension out of the body that you need and, you know, it inhibits your plyometric ability and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I looked at it as a negative thing until I saw them perform and then I watched them bouncing across stage and jumping higher than I could, could even imagine and doing all this really ballistic, uh, um, plyometric, uh, explosive movement. And then I was like, okay, so there's something there that um, all the professionals out there are overlooking. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see kind of coming around in full circle you know yeah this is one of those things that's been researched and say 
to touch on the injury thing, so the original study that showed static stretching doesn't increase or doesn't decrease injury rate was done on a cohort of I think 30 guys in the army in basic training, which is six week program I think in the States, where they'd done some static, implemented a static stretching routine and then tracked the injury rate and it was just the same. So it didn't decrease injury, but it's also like- Did they do this one? Yeah, they've probably done that one, but there's no, what was the program? How was it followed? What is the quality of adherence? You know, none of these things that actually go into flexibility training were tracked. And then from that, there were some other ones. Now, there's also the explosive stuff as well that we're seeing a lot, but I think it's a case by case basis that, you know, we can do a bit of stretching, but then if, you, if you're tight and need to stretch out before you do your activity, that's fine. If you look at some of the Olympic lifters, I think Klockoff is doing like pancakes before he warms up and no one's going to argue that he's explosive. But it's also, you know... Shout out, Klockoff. Yeah. Thanks for listening, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's just like, say, say the recent one is like, okay, we stretch the hamstrings, then we test vertical leap and it's the creases. But does just sitting on the floor, stretching your hamstring, getting your heart rate down, you know, is, that, that, is that doing it? Or, you know, there's a lot of co-founding factors in there. But then also we could go on the other thing. It's like, okay, test your vertical leap, stretch your hip flexors really intensely and then retest it, you'll jump higher. And that's been studied as well. So, you know, we can use stretching to achieve the exact opposite the studies are saying we don't. Also, when you go back to your 18 months to, to like a, a substantial changes, these like to run, like to run a test that's, that's you could actually say, okay, this, you could you could sign off on the fact that they're 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 you know like legit. You'd have to be running them for for that kind of time yeah. frame. You know, when you think about it. Yeah, it's it's the same. Like if you look at any research, it's just not that great. Like strength training, they track people for ten weeks, and we're like, well, it worked for ten weeks, but does it stop working or does it keep working? You know, these things are like you know they get like oh we got a gym trained guy and then we changed his program substantially and then he made loads of progress but then the control group was just on basically the same program they were doing and like well maybe they'd maximize their gains from that program so now if they changed up to doing something different they get some more stimulus it's a lot of interesting things to be done but the um the whole move the movement trend i mean i'm sure you're familiar with it you probably get a lot I've, of people i've heard like, about it yeah <laughs> come into your class at the do movement do movement yeah so uh, what uh, would you consider yourself a movement guy? Uh, hmm. When I started out, I was thinking movement is a really cool thing, but now, unfortunately, it's beginning to get a bit circle jerky that you have to do certain activities to be considered a mover, and if you don't do these activities, then you're not a mover. I'm using quotation marks here. So it's just, I think there's a lot of positives to it, getting out, doing a lot of variety in your training, trying to, you know, improve the qualities you look at, but a lot of people seem to overlap and think, I must do lizard crawls and therefore I'm a mover. Not just going like, what qualities is this crawl trying to put in my body? You know, am I chasing this? Am I trying to, am I trying to move? Because a lot of people we meet, they do, I've met a lot of these people over the years and they train movement, but they do handstands and they're like, well, you haven't got that much time to train a week, you know, they're normal people. Why not do some dance classes? Why not do a parkour class? Why not do some BJJ? You know, something that really makes you move versus I'm doing some, you know, muscle ups on rings. I'm doing some hands. Uh, don't get me wrong. I train all of these things myself and so do my clients, but there's still 
we do still have a push to get people to do different things and experiment with different things. Sure, you guys counter this as well. It's just mm. we want to do movement, and movement is just being crystallized into a certain subset of movements. Not For sure. Yeah, we get people here coming to learn movement, <clears throat> and then you know, and then when you get them to sort of define that a little bit more, they're like, oh, you, you know, the handstands and the muscle ups. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which are all noble goals, but you know, it's just yeah, it's yeah. the intention behind it. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that brings me to a question I want to ask. Um, you drink beer, right? Sometimes I've been known. Okay, and so you you have you strike me as having, you know, for someone who's as as far along in your field as you are, you you don't have the the man god presence that is often attributed to to profession, you know, to movement coaches or people, you know, on an international level doing that kind of thing. You you're you're an accessible guy. You're down to earth. You drink beers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not just amino acids, black coffee, and steak. Can he's you talk? The, can you talk a little? Though. Can you talk? He's got the man bun too. Hair. I've got. I have got the. I'm a movement coach uniform. Of I have a pair of feet. I'm not wearing them today. I have feyus. I have a beard. <laughs> drink coffee and have a man bun. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. I've had the man bun before. It became a trend, and I'm kind of hoping that it just stops. <laughs> Folly people with the man buns could just cut them the fuck off, and <laughs> I can get back to being unfashionable. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know being a regular guy? Uh, I. <laughs> I think I am a regular guy. It's, it's one of those things that I don't subscribe to is guruism. I really, I don't know, I've encountered a lot over the years with different coaches that I don't, I don't really want this for my students. I don't want them to see me as the one true source. Like we always encourage our students to go to different workshops, take different classes, learn from other people. I, you know, I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of answers within my own subset of skills. But you know, if we're going for people who want to do movement, you know, we send them like a couple of my clients now, they've gotten a bit more advanced than I can coach, so I send them to someone else because, you know, they'll benefit better from this person. It's the same with, I don't know, knowing your limits, I suppose, and just, I don't know, it's the same like when I worked as a personal trainer, we had a lot of PTs who were constantly posting every healthy meal they ate, they'd post it on their Instagram or their Facebook, or whatever, but then every time you see them eating a donut or whatever, that doesn't go on. There's this false <laughs> persona they're building to, you know, give this vindication to their ego of, and these are people who are in great shape. It's not like a donut is going to harm them, but. What's a, what's a donut? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never encountered such a thing. I had a jam donut this week. Did you? Perfect. I see? could tell. I should have. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking a bit tubby there. Yeah. Your hair's all shiny. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's kind of when someone ascends to gurudom, and you see it a lot with, say, the say the generation of strength coaches who are that generation ahead of us or older than us. You see a lot of them have just gone like pure off the deep end guruism of like demanding, you know, unquestioning obedience from their coaches. We're just like, well, no, I don't want to be that guy in 20 years. That guy has no friends in 20 years, usually. Mm, they have a big following online. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... It's so recent. Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, it's, it's very refreshing. You know, it makes... It's, uh, it's, it's cool to be able to, to talk on a very human level with someone such as yourself. And, and even learning from you at the workshop the other week, it's just nice to... There's no, there's no stress behind it. It's just like we're doing this stuff together. And you were even very, um, 
you were very open to, to having other people, you know, obviously you said there was quite a few high-level people there in attendance. You were very open to having their input. So you weren't like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. It's my prescription. Yeah. It was kind of that, it was cool that you were confident enough to have that open forum. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I'm in favor of open learning systems and that's how, you know, that's how we grow and develop. We let people, we do our thing and then we share it with others and then they'll come back, well, that thing you were doing, I've done it slightly different. And then you go, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll try it myself that way and see, is it more effective than what I'm doing? Where if I just go, this is the one way to do it, suddenly I'll meet someone where it doesn't work and I'll be banging my head against the wall going like, but I have all the answers. This is the one true training. Then it's all for, yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Then it's all for what? Yeah, exactly. It's just so you talk about your, your um, uh, encouraging your students to look uh, like to, to get their information from other areas and that kind of yeah. stuff, like to do their own research. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of junk out there. Yeah. What, what are your favorite resources? It depends on what category. <laughs> so for flexibility training. Like <laughs> Deviant clips. <laughs> <laughs> this just took a sharp turn. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, bring some of that up for us. <laughs> But uh, so in terms of resources, there's hard. I like Reddit. That's quite good for getting the starting point for so some concepts. You know, T Nation, people bash on it. But I think there's a lot of good writers there who will, you can find the interesting stuff if you can get over the man nipples and the constant supplement selling, but <laughs> worth, it's worth exploring. Then it just depends on the field. Like, you know, say flexibility, Thomas Kurtz, I like a lot but he still hasn't got the whole picture, I feel. Then Kit Lachlan as well, he's pretty good at what he does. So there's that, but then we're going in, you know, do you want to dance better? There's a whole concept of that. It's probably better learned in practice. Same with most of these things. It's like, do you want to watch BJJ blogs or do you just want to go roll with someone? Mm. You know, that's, you know, movement is a practice-based experience. It's not a... It's not an information-based thing, as we do use information to guide us, but we should be getting out there and trying it out very soon before, rather than just going like, I read this type of crawl is the best. Oh no, <laughs> this type of crawl is the best, or this person has this blog post on this crawl. And you know, it's like, well, why not just go out and fucking crawl? You know, maybe be creative and make Sport. your own ones. There's no, there shouldn't really be set rules. Yeah, I like that. Hey, um, can you tell us if people want to, you mentioned the hashtag before. Yeah. If people want to experience, you know, get in touch with you or see more of your material, what are the best channels for them to go down? So either through social media, the Facebook or Instagram is good, but also we have the website silverleapproject.io, which is pretty good. I'm sure you guys can link to that. Yeah. That gives you an overview of the online training. There's a couple of articles, not much. I should really blog a bit more, but <laughs> too much time is taken up on other stuff. Consider this a blog. Yeah, exactly. I'll share this. Then, yeah, that's the main ways to get in touch. Do you currently have any vacancies for online students? Uh, no. We have a waiting list. I suggest if anyone's interested, they get on it as soon as possible because it does take some time to clear. It's one of these... Uh, it's one of the problems with the online coaching is that people stick with us, that we don't get too many spaces going free. Yeah. Which is, it's a good complaint, but it's also need to expand somehow maybe take more people on but I like having 20 because it means you can get people focused rather than just going I have a thousand students and generalize your programming 
I could do that, but generalize. Generalize. Cookie cut, man. <laughs> you all do movement. <laughs> Fifteen sessions a week. Yeah. Yeah. Come back at me when you got a man bun. <laughs> Stage one, grow man bun. <laughs> nice man. Um, thank you for coming on. It was, yeah, uh, no problem. Thank you guys, you. and yeah, cool. thanks for hosting the seminars. And yeah, I had a great time with you guys. We'll be back. Thanks, Emmett. We have a Christmas party next week if you're around. No, unfortunately I'll be gone and I had, I don't know if anyone is reading this, has seen the list of stuff you guys have blagged for free for your Christmas party. <laughs> I'm very impressed and I'm very upset I'm not here for it. It's fucking international level, huh? Yeah, it's very like, um, you know, I'm Irish. We appreciate a good bit of blagging and that is some top tier blagging. <laughs> <laughs> like got kegs, we got coffee, we got meat, we got <laughs> members bringing punch. Nice. Thanks, man. Appreciate we stole a bar from the street. <laughs> <laughs> Bogans, man. We've got yeah. a bit of blood in all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Right. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers, nice man. one, bro. Thank Appreciate you. It. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs>